Good morning, Grace Church. It's a privilege and a blessing to be here again. Um, you see, uh, some uh, some different. Uh, some of the some of the things are different today. Today, I have a water bottle instead of a cup of coffee. I got already one cup of coffee today, so I hope I can get through the sermon because I usually get two cup of coffees in the morning. So uh, that's the one thing different. And you see that I'm not wearing a coat. It's too hot outside. So I'm like, okay, they, uh, if, if, if they don't like my T-shirt, then they can buy me another shirt. That's fine. Just, let, just ask me that my size, okay? Otherwise, don't go buy me a shirt. Um, but um, also, there's, uh, there's no limit time today on the sermon. You know that, right? Because it's better in here than outside. So you're better off in here. The AC is great. In here, and uh, I want to say thank you, Patty, for 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 the report. The only thing I have against you, without even knowing you, is that you you were in Lyon, not not in Paris. And I'm a PSG fan, you know, a praise and German fan, uh, and so uh, they're uh, they're in first place right now on the on the French league. So uh, it's a uh, um, it's in my plans actually to go visit France because I want to see Messi play there. Uh, hopefully, it will become a, a, a dream come true. So thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, a lot of things are happening in our church these days. You guys know that, uh, as I always say, we are a church in transition uh, because we are a church in transition. For the next two, three years, that's going to be the case, maybe even more. Hopefully not. Um, but one of the things that we are doing is next week we are having a special meeting uh, for our members. We are having a special meeting where we are going to be talking about uh, the importance of uh, the future of our kids' ministry. It's going to have a lot to do with the future of our kids' ministry. So I hope you can make it. It's going to be right after the service. Uh, a lot of good things are happening too. Bible studies, men's breakfast. Uh, men's breakfast, I just, I don't know if, if it's good that the men are going to be the ones cooking, but it's, it's breakfast. It's free breakfast. What can you say, right? So uh, a lot of good stuff is it's, uh, it's going on uh, in, in our church. So today we're going to get back to the book of James. And uh, to be honest with you, this is not an easy passage to teach from because sometimes people can easily get offended by it. But um, what am I saying, right? The Word of God usually, a lot of times the Word of God hits right on target and sometimes it makes us feel convicted of what's going on. Uh, in our lives. So today we're going to continue on this amazing book of James. And um, um, it's, it's a book full of practical wisdom. It's amazing how practical James can get. So today we're going to be talking about favoritism does not fit the Christian life. Favoritism does not fit the Christian life. If you like to be partial, I have certain people that you're, you know, they're your favorites, that just doesn't fit the Christian life. That's what God says. It's not me saying it, it's the Scripture saying it. Uh, to be able to have a better, better understanding on this, on our text today, uh, let's, let's look really quick at the context. And I hope that by the end we do, uh, by, by, by the time we finish the book of James, I'm hoping that you will know the book of James really well. Because we're doing, you know, we're reviewing the context. Where, where are we coming from? Where are we at now? And so, in the context of the book of James, uh, we saw that in, in chapter 1, we've been in chapter 1, today we're going to jump into chapter 2, but in chapter 1, we were talking about the first 12 verses, we were talking about trials. 
and how Christians are supposed to deal with trials in life. So James already gave us a lesson in trials, about trials. Then James gives us a lesson on temptation. He talked about trials and temptation. And then from verse 16 and verse 18, he says, Guys, uh, uh, you guys are going to have trials no matter what. You guys are going to go through temptations no matter what. But one thing is for sure is that God has given you the best. And what is the best? What's the best that God has given you? It's the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what's going to help you to get through trials and through temptations. So, And when you hear the Word of God, it's important that you know how to receive the Word of God. And in verse 19, he says, be quick to listen to the Word of God. In verse 21, he says, receive the Word of God. Receive it and accept it as the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. And then implant the Word of God. Make it part of your life. And then in verse 21, at the end of verse 21, he says, but do not deceive yourself. If you receive the Word, if you hear the Word of God, you receive the Word of God, and you don't implant the Word of God, and you're not a doer of the Word of God, if you don't do as the Word of God says, then you're only deceiving yourselves. You're only playing church. You're only kidding yourself. Remember, James is writing so that they can put their faith to the test. Remember, that's what we talked about in the very first sermon. That James is writing all these things so we can test our faith if our faith is real or is fake. If it's a living faith or if it's dead. And so, so far in chapter 1, since we already finished chapter 1, I just want to make sure that you guys remember this, that we have seen three different tests. Three different times he tests our faith. The, the first test of faith is how, how, how does living faith respond during trials? How does living faith, and that, and that is from verse 2 to verse 12. And then the second test is, how does living faith respond in, during the times of temptation? So how does your faith respond during the times of trial? How does your faith respond during the times of uh, temptation? And, and the third test that we saw that we finished last week is, how does your living faith respond to God's Word? So being, how, how, do, how does that happen? How does your faith respond to God's Word? If you have real faith, if you have living faith, you become a doer and not just a hearer of the Word. And then in verse 26 and 27, as we finished last week, James tells us what, what does it mean to be a doer of the Word? What does being a doer of the Word looks like? Well, James says in verse 26, uh, if anyone thinks he is religious, in other words, if anyone thinks he has a, a real relationship with God, if you believe you have a real relationship with God, and if, you th if you think you are religious, and doesn't brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, so just let, let me tell you really quick here so we know that we're staying in context. Religion. What, what is religion? What is James referring about religion? Because the, the, the word religion in itself has a lot of negative, uh, you know, negative thinking in it. When you hear religion, it's something negative already. No, the word religion here that James is using, it's meaning an outward display of something that inwardly is it's an outward display of something that is inwardly true. In other words, so if your relationship with God is inwardly true, 
if you have a real relationship with God and, the in, and it's inwardly true, you will display that relationship with God. You will display it outwardly. How, how does James say you're going to display that? So if your relationship with God is inwardly true, if God has really changed your heart, if God has really done the work that you desire for God to do in your heart, you will express that in an outwardly way. And he says it's, there's three different ways that you will do this. And the three different ways is that you're going to do it by the way you use your words. Look in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't do what? Doesn't do what? It doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. So in other words, you, you show that kind of relationship you have with God in your heart, the way you speak, the way you talk to people, the way you treat people with your words. But he also says, after that he says, that is by the way you also serve other people. Now, he's not saying who you're going to serve specifically. He says, in general, the way you serve anybody, visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, if you believe you have a relationship with God, and that is and, and, and something that God has done in your heart, you are going to show it the way you serve other people, no matter who they are. That's the way you show it, he says. Not just the way you talk, but the way you serve other people. And he also says, one of the, he says a third thing here, it's by the way you live your life, by being a doer of the Word. And you, he says in verse 27, and to keep yourself, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So those are the three tests. The test and what do you do when you're going, how does your faith respond when you're going through trials? How does your faith respond when you're going through Temptations. How does your faith respond to the Word of God? Does your faith respond to the Word of God in the way that you are a doer of the Word? And if you are a doer of the Word, do you use the words that you're supposed to use? Do you act towards other people the way you are supposed to act? Do you serve other people the way you're supposed to serve them, no matter who they are? Do you keep yourself unstained from the world? So the fourth test begins in chapter 2. So the fourth is, if being a doer of the Word and serving other people is one of the tests of your faith, the fourth test of your faith is that if you are a doer of the Word, how are you treating other people? The test begins here. The test begins here. You want to prove yourself how your relationship is with God? First of all, be a doer of the Word. And second of all, you, if you are a doer of the Word, you will love others as you love yourself. We don't have to learn a whole lot about how to love ourselves. We do that by nature. It's human nature. It's human nature to love oneself. But how do you love others as you love yourself? That is a test of your faith. You want to know if your faith is fake or real? Check yourself in how you treat other people who has been made in the image of God. With that in mind, James moving to chapter 2 to tell them, uh, you know, what he means by being a doer of the Word and loving people. What does it look like to be a doer of the Word in real life, in a relationship with other people? James began chapter 2 by saying this, that a doer of the Word treats other people 
the same. My brothers and sisters, verse 1, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus, I want to make sure you pay attention to how he says it. My brothers and sisters. So he's telling them, you guys are my brothers, you guys are my sisters. I love you guys. Right? I love you guys. But, but, but there's one thing he's saying. My brothers and sisters, believers in the Lord, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. You guys are my brothers. You guys are my sisters, he says. But I want to tell you something. And remember, these people were running away from trials, right? They were being persecuted in Jerusalem. So a lot of them have become poor. And in the places where they were arriving, there were already believers there. There were already believers there. And some of those believers were still rich. You know, they, they still had their things. They still had their belongings. But there were these people who were arriving there with nothing in their hands. And they were poor just with their families. And, and so he's talking constantly. You're going to hear James talking about the rich and the poor, the rich and the poor. I want to make sure that I, I, I'm clear with this. It doesn't mean that the rich, you know, there's all rich people are all bad. No, it's not true. We have good rich people. We have bad rich people. We have good poor people. We have bad poor people. It doesn't matter. It's a matter of the heart. And so he says, my brothers and sisters, in other words, if you are believers in our Lord Jesus, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, because you are a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Now, do you think we, you think we as Christians are guilty of that? And this has nothing to do this text has been misused by people to talk about, uh, you know, against racism. Has nothing. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about discrimination, which is completely different than racism. Discrimination and racism is completely two different things. Discrimination, it doesn't matter who the person is. When you discriminate a person, it's because simply you don't like the way they look, the way they dress. You don't like, uh, they're not on your same tax bracket maybe. Uh, they don't look like you. They don't smell like you. And simply we make differences of people. And we choose who we want to hang out with. And we just choose who we want to hang out with based on our preferences. And a lot of times we discriminate. So I don't know if you think we're guilty of that. But I, I want to show you, I think we have a video there. Um, I think we have a video. I, I want to show you this video. This is, it's just, I was having fun this week while I was, uh, while I was uh, preparing this sermon. I just want to show you this video about these two, uh, these two people at work. See that guy? Definitely loaded. That guy... Not so much. I don't think that we should judge a book by its cover. <laughs> okay, new girl. I'll take the suit, you take the sweats. Let's see who gets the bigger tip. Hello, sir. Nice suit you got on. What can I get started for you? I will have the filet mignon, mm -hmm. rack of lamb, mm. truffle soup, heritage salad, and a bottle of your finest red wine. 
Excellent order, sir. I will get that started right away. Hi, sir. What can I get for you today? Hey, um, I'll just take a salad. Oh, our salads are pretty small. Are you sure you wouldn't like anything else? No, that's fine. I'm a pretty simple eater. Would you like some sparkled water? No, that's fine. Thank you. Let me guess. He only ordered one item in a tap water. He did, but he's a nice man. Oh, nice doesn't pay the bills. Okay. Once he finishes, get him out of here as quickly as possible. He smells terrible, and we have to save our tables for customers who actually have money. That's not fair. We should treat everyone the same. You'll learn quickly once you realize you aren't making any money. How's it going? Any room for dessert? Yes. In fact, I will have a piece of chocolate cake and a glass of champagne to top it off. Coming right up. The more they order, the fatter the tip. All right, sir. Can I get you anything else? No, ma'am. I'm I'm all right. Um, but it seems like I left my wallet in my car. Do you mind if I go grab it? Sure. I'll be right back. Of course. Okay. <laughs> right back. I promise. You're not going to see that guy again. I can tell you that. You know, why don't you just worry about your own customers? Or lack of customer. <sighs> he dined and ditched. Oh. Hey, sorry about that. You can just go ahead and keep the change as is. Oh, wait. Thank you, sir. But your meal really wasn't very much. This tip is far too generous. No, it's it's really not a problem. All right, I'm an NBA player, and I just finished a great practice. It's actually why I'm so sweaty, uh, but I love to help out when I can. Wow! Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, no problem. Oh, hey, would you like to come to a basketball game tomorrow? I could get you and a friend tickets. Sure. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, there'll be really good seats. All right, just come to the forum by like five p.m. tomorrow. Yeah. Right, cool. See you tomorrow. Am I dreaming? Did that really just happen? I guess it pays to treat everyone with respect. Isn't that interesting? How sometimes we judge people by the way they just—they just look, they smell, they—they uh, dress. And I tell you one thing: we're all guilty of that. We just don't realize we're doing it. Seriously, we don't realize it. And I'll give you some examples in a minute. But if you ever want to know how you and God are doing, look at the way you're treating other people God made in His own image. It doesn't matter who they are. Look at the way you're treating people. How you treat people, it's a good indicator on how you really are with God. Not how many verses you memorize. Not how many consecutive times you had a quiet time. 
It's how you treat people, regardless of their tax bracket, regardless of their gender, regardless of their color, regardless of you know who they are. You treat people because you treat them good because they were made in the image of God. And so what was happening here in James, in, in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, we, we have to realize that the first century church, polarized, polarized conditions were governing these times, this society. People were either, back in those days, people were either rich or poor. You were either or. You were either slave or you were what? Free. It was normal in, the, in, in their society. So you were either poor or rich. You were either slave or free, Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian. You were one or the other. However, part of the good news of the gospel was that in Christ Jesus, social barriers lost their strength. Why do I say that? Well, Paul wrote it to the Galatians. I want you to see Galatians. Galatians, uh, if we have the PowerPoint here, we have Galatians. Uh, Paul says there is neither Jew or uh, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's putting: if you are a believer, you are put at the same level as everybody. Nobody is more than nobody. Nobody is more than you know than the other people. Again, in, Col- in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he also tells them, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, uh, uh, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So in the first century church, this was an issue. It was an issue. And so James writes to them about this issue. It, it is still an issue in, even in the church today, not just in, the, not just in society. But about having favoritism and preferences of people still a problem in many churches. In many churches. Have you ever been discriminated? And I'm not talking to the Hispanics. I'm not talking to blacks. I'm not talking to... I'm talking to everybody. Because no matter who you are, there is, at, at some point you have been discriminated. Maybe because of your age. Maybe because of a handicap. Maybe because of the way you talk. Maybe because of the way you were dressed. Maybe because of the way you had your hair cut. It's, I mean, it's different reasons. People look at you and automatically they think they know who you are. It's unfortunate, but it's human nature. The sin of partiality is still prevalent in some forms today. And so let's examine James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, and consider what James has to say on this issue. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not, have show, must not show favoritism. And then he gives an example. Suppose a man comes into the meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the men wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand here, stand there, or, or sit here on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because when we show favoritism, There's something behind that. There's evil thoughts behind that. 
I mean, especially back, back where I'm from, people have the tendency to show favoritism to the rich or to the way a person looks because we're looking to get something out of evil thoughts. And a lot of times we show no respect to people, but we do that all over the world. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom, He promised those who He loved, who, who love Him. But you have dishonored the poor. It's not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him who you belong? If you really keep the royal law, found in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you should not commit adultery also said you should not murder. If you don't commit adultery... But commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Without mercy, you will not be shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, let me clear something, and I will repeat it again and again. This is talking about discriminating people, favoritism, preferences. It's putting our faith to the test in how you treat others based on their appearance. What is discrimination? Discrimination is simple. Discrimination means that we look at a person's outside to determine their worth in the inside. We look at a person outside to determine their worth in the inside. So James, James says that, uh, that, that, that that may work for the world. That may work for the world. But now that you are followers of Jesus Christ, that is not the way you should relate to one another. If you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that shouldn't be the problem. That should not be an issue. As a matter of fact, I don't know if it, it, one of the things we're, you know, we're praying about is for our church to become a fully multi-ethnic, multicultural church. We're in L.A. We want to reach people from all over the world. We have the world here at our doorstep. I'm glad when missionaries like Patty and others have gone overseas. But God has brought the world to us. And a lot of times, you know, we're more concerned. Hey, you should, you should, you should speak English. You're, you're in America. And it's funny enough that, do you know that we don't, have a, we don't have by law a national language? Did you know that? Our Constitution doesn't say... That English is our language. It doesn't say that. But a lot of times we discriminate when we hear a person talk in whatever other language they talk. And so now we don't even try to be a good example so we can give them the gospel with our actions. 
It's interesting, but that's the way we, that's the way we, unfortunately, that's the way we roll. And it's not what pleases God. So there is a problem here James is talking about, and he talks about this problem from verse, all the way from verse 1 through verse 7. And what is the problem? The problem is the heart. The issue is not in what we do. We do what we do because we have an issue of the heart. We have made our preferences, our choices in our heart. We all have this simple tendency to show favoritism. It's by nature in our hearts. And if you're not aware or conscious of it, you might even do it without even thinking you just do it. It's just your natural reaction. If not, try this. Go stand at an ATM. Go stand at an ATM and wait for me to get there with the hoodie. I'll get there with the hoodie. I just like, maybe I'm just cold, right? Not today, by the way. So what do you do when you see a person that might be, you know, might look different than you? Get there close to the ATM and they're wearing a hoodie and it's 11 o'clock at night. Automatically you think, this guy is going to, this guy's going to take my money. And so you're looking everywhere. There was a kid who, uh, you know, he was bald. And people around him, around him was treating him so bad because they all thought he was a gang member. Well, his classmates were treating him really bad because they thought he was a gang member. And so people push him out, you know, out of their zone, and, and they, don't, they didn't want to deal with him. Well, it happened that one day this kid didn't show up anymore to school. And the teacher said, well, I just want to let you know to the rest of the class. And he gave the name of the kid, and he said he's not here because he's in, con- in cancer treatment. So the only reason he had no hair is because, and he was always in a bad mood, it was because he was going through treatment. But we discriminate people based on what it, they look like. Now, the other day, I'm 20 miles into the border of Mexico, into the United States. And I'm driving, I'm driving my truck, and when I'm driving my truck, I'm just going easy. You know, I'm already 20 miles in, I already went through the border, so I get pulled over. I get pulled over by an officer. And the first thing he does is he starts talking to me in Spanish. But I notice that the guy in front of me has a bigger truck and he's covered. But the guy in front of me didn't look like me. But he stops me, he pulls me over, and I said, yes, officer, how can I help you? And he said, uh, he starts talking to me in Spanish, and he says, uh, uh, where are you coming from? Where are you from? I said, I'm coming from Mexico. I'm coming from teaching a class. I'm from Honduras. I was born in Honduras. Oh, Honduras. And that's, this is when the Hondurans were there at the border, and they were trying to cross the border. This is about six months ago, something like that, maybe a year ago. So he says, are you you illegal? I say, you're asking me the wrong question. You're asking me the wrong question. And and first of all, I want to ask you, why are you talking to me in Spanish? Why did you assume, why did you not pull over the guy in front of me, but you pulled me over? Why do you assume I speak Spanish and not English, or maybe another language? He realized that he was profiling me based on my looks. But we do that naturally. We, do, we all do that naturally. I, I remember when I was working at, the, at a dealership, and we were having a morning meeting. 
And as we're having a morning meeting, we have all our crew there, and everybody is pumped up to go ready and go make some money that day. And what happens? This lady in a wheelchair, no legs. This lady that didn't look like any of us that were sitting at that table, no legs, and is being pushed by, uh, by, by this, this young man. She goes into the dealership, and nobody's paying attention. And we're done with our meeting. Nobody's going to them because they're discriminating based on, on her handicap. So I finally thought to myself, Lord, what am I doing? I've got to go, even if they waste my time. Because when you're selling cars, you, you don't want anybody to waste your time because you might lose the next customer that will buy And so instead of getting the lady that's not well-dressed, in a wheelchair, no legs, maybe most likely no money, that's what you assume because we we base in what we look and the way we see people. Well, this lady said, on top of that, she said, I'm looking for an Escalade. I want a brand new Escalade. And I want to make sure if you guys are going to give me a good deal. And I said, my prejudiced mind, simple mind, is already thinking, oh, this is going to be a waste of time. I don't think she has that money. And then I go, uh, sure, sure we, we have some escalates over here. Let me, let, me, let me take you there and show you. So she asked to be, you know, to be, to, to, you know, to get some help to be in the car and uh, that gentleman pushing the, the wheelchair is was her, her boyfriend at that time, I don't know um, was not her husband but was her boyfriend and he wanted to drive the car, I'm like okay, can I get your license I'll make a copy of your license and I'm swallowing all this and I'm like why did I make this choice, right but nobody wanted to help him well when we come back she pulls out from her wheelchair she pulls out a bag Opens it up. Shows me $50,000 cash. Cash. Do you think, even if maybe I don't have such a good credit score, do you think with that amount of money, they'll be able to give me the car? <laughs> Guess what? Everybody's changed face. Everybody's faces change, right? They change. It's like, why didn't I do it? I couldn't make that commission. Well, I made a really good commission on that. But I felt ashamed of myself after that. Because I made a judgment based on how they look. And we are all guilty of that. We are all guilty of that. Another man at one time, he came up to me. And as soon as I went up to him, because it was my, my turn to be there. And as soon as I went up to him, he said, no, sir. Do not even come close to me. This is what I was told. He said, I would never buy a car from a Mexican. I'm like, and I saw that he had a sticker uh, from one of our presidential candidates. And I'm saying, okay, I guess not. I said, but sir, you, it's your lucky day today because I'm not a Mexican. And he's like, oh. I'm like, but don't worry. I'll get, you, I'll get you somebody who will help you. So I went to get, I went over there and I got my, one of my friends, one of my buddies, and I said, hey, Nikolai, uh, this is a guy who looks like he's going to buy it, so let, let's just go do it. And he worked with him fine, and he didn't realize that I still got half of that commission, right? But he wouldn't buy a car from a Mexican. 
So it's interesting how we judge. It's in our hearts. It's in our hearts. The judgment is in our hearts. And, 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 and a lot of times, by the way we look at people, the way they dress, the way they talk, discriminating is tragic. Discrimination is tragic in the world. But what's more tragic is if we practice discrimination in the church. In, in, in many places, you can distinguish, that's the, rich, that's the rich church, that's the poor church, that's the Hispanic church, that's the black church, that's the white church. I'm like, are we serious? Still in this day and age, are we doing that? And in other countries, it's even worse. In other countries, it's even worse. And where I'm from, people do not mix. Rich people go to rich churches, very rich churches, because there's a lot of money in Latin America, let me tell you that. But there's a lot of poverty too. And the people that are poor will not go to a rich church because they will feel discriminated because they will be discriminated. And so that's what James is pointing at over here. He's saying do not make preferences or partiality. Don't, don't treat people like that. And, and as a matter of fact, remember what the, the prophet Samuel did when he went to, uh, to anoint David as, as, a, as, a, as a king? The, the, the prophet Samuel went over there and he says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 through 7, he said, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed. It stands here before the Lord. It's been said that he was tall, he was handsome, he was strong. And so immediately by his looks, he said, here it is. This is the guy God has chosen. But the Lord gave him a lesson to Samuel. He says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. Do not consider his appearance, do not consider his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. What are the things we look at? You, you, can, you, can, you can tell that to yourself. What are the things we look at? Let's be honest with ourselves. People, and then God says, people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. So God, God calls out Samuel. And puts him in check right here. God looks at the deeper level in the heart. And before that, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, when Moses was writing, was, was writing to, the, uh, to the people of Israel, trying to tell them how to behave with one another, in Leviticus 19, uh, verse 15, he told them, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality. How are you going to pervert justice? How are you going to show partiality? And he says, don't do that to the poor or, or favoritism to the great. Don't show partiality to the poor. Oh, they're, they're poor. So l let's be partial with them. Oh, do not show favoritism to the great. Why? Oh, these people have money, so let's, we better treat them right. But judge your neighbor fairly. This is a heart problem. It's not a behavioral problem. It's a heart problem. This is a hard issue, and it's not new. It's tragic that it happens a lot of times among Christianity, too, among churches. You know, there were churches in the old days 
In the old days, there were churches that were, that, that, that were multi-ethnic, multi-cultural churches. But, but remember, they had a place that it says, blacks only. How, how would the, I, I wonder, I always wonder, how would those church, how would those churches preach James chapter 2? How would they do it? They would have to rip the page of chapter 2 and throw it away. They had no other choice. Or they would have been convicted of the word. It's, it's just amazing. Discrimination is a problem. And it's a problem of the heart. It's not, it's not the actions. The actions come as a result of what's in our heart. That's what Jesus said. And a lot of times, if we don't deal with this in our churches, how can we speak? How can we have no moral integrity to challenge injustice and discrimination outside of our walls when we freely can practice it inside the walls? Because it begins in the heart of a person. And then James says in verse 1, he, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must... He's not telling you you have an option to do this. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you must not show favoritism. By the way, Christians, you're not an immigration officer. A lot of times we're more worried, are those people legal in the country? Then, do those people have Jesus Christ in their heart? You know, when I've been asked that question, what do I think about illegals? I said, I don't think about it. I think about people. And I think about how people need Christ. I'm a sender of God to reach my community. I'm not an immigration officer. That's not my job. I don't get paid by the government to do that. But the Lord chose me to be able to speak His Word. The Lord chose you to be able to go out there and talk to people about the grace of God that can save their souls from being this kind of person. Are we doing it? You know, why are we making differences with people? We must not show favoritism. And guess what? Guess what the word the Greek word here on favoritism? The Greek word here in favoritism means to lift lift the face. So, in other words, James is talking about a poor man and a rich man, right? And then when you're talking to the poor man, and all of a sudden the rich man comes with all these rings. Remember, in, in those cultures, they, they used to like to wear all this stuff, all, all these gold, gold rings and you know, necklaces and chains and all that stuff. And, and so all of a sudden you're attending to the poor, and the rich comes, and you like, you lift the face. And you stop listening to the poor. You stop serving the poor because that person... You know, it's like, it's like have, you, have you seen when, when a, a famous person comes to know Christ? How they, be, how they get treated in the churches? I heard a pastor one time saying that his people, when, this is in Simi Valley, one of the churches in Simi Valley that I know the pastor. He said that the people were like, I don't have papers, so they were giving him their Bibles to sign them. 
too famous person that arrived to the church, right? Sign my Bible here. Like, really? And we forget about the rest. To lift the face. So James moved. James moves from don't show partiality, don't show discrimination, don't look at a person outside to determine their word inside. And then in verse 2 to 3, he gives the example. And then he says, he says suppose a, a man comes in and he's rich and you treat him this way. And a poor man comes in and you treat him this other way. And you tell the poor man, hey, by the way, you know what? Those seats are reserved. Have you ever seen seats being reserved for other people? It used to happen in the old days. Especially, you know, I planted a few Hispanic churches. Hispanic churches, they had seats even in the front, right? You know, I don't want nobody sitting in the back behind me. I want them to sit there. Receive the word God the same as everybody. We're all the same. But, but I remember that. And then he tells them, you know, he tells them, hey, you tell the rich person, the person that looks good, you tell them, hey, go sit over there. That's a nice spot. As a matter of fact, let me take you there, right? And you tell the poor, you know what? You can sit there in that corner. And if you don't want to stand out there, come and sit over here at my feet. What a disgrace. So this is not a new thing because it's a problem of the heart. And then he says in verse 2, Have you not discriminate among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You made yourself a judge with evil thoughts, evil motives, evil heart, discrimination. It doesn't begin with our actions. It starts at the heart. To deal with discrimination, you first have to change the heart. That is why I love the civil rights movements. A lot of stuff that they did, they did it right. But, but the civil rights movement, um, you know, they, they fought for equality. But the problem with the civil rights movements is that the civil rights movement will move the government to change laws, but will not change the heart. Laws can change, but the heart doesn't change like that. It's got to be Christ who changes the heart. Evil thoughts, in other words, is if I serve the rich, I might get a job. If, if, if I attend this person well, you know, I, you know, he might return the favor to me. Remember what Jesus said about serving people just because they'll return their favor to you? He said, you've done nothing if that's what you do. You're supposed to serve those who will not return anything to you. That's why I love our people. And I know they go to Boyle Heights all the time, and I've never been there with them because I haven't had the time yet. But they go serve people that cannot return anything to them. So I, 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 I applaud you for that. So what is the solution? What is the solution? We see the solution in verses 5 through 11. It is an issue of action. It's, it's an issue of the heart. And to fix it is an issue of action. We need new hearts, but we also need new action. James said... I give you an example of one not to do already. You know, don't, 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 don't show favoritism to the rich and not to the poor and see them in different places. Now, let me reason with you. I just give you an example. Now I'm going to reason with you. How am I going to reason with you? Verses 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Notice that he keeps, he keeps on calling them brothers and sisters. So these are believers. 
And he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones dragging you into, the, into courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom you belong? And again, it's not about being rich or poor. If your heart, if our faith is genuine, there's a lot of people, good rich people, bad rich people. Good poor people, bad poor people. But we need new hearts. But we also need new action. What is the new action James is talking about? Look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law. What's the royal law? He calls it the royal law. This is really, this is really cool. I like it. He says, the royal law is found in the scripture. Have you read scripture? The royal law is love your neighbor as yourself then you are doing it right. If you love your neighbor as yourself, who's your neighbor? We'll see that right now in a minute. So he says the royal law is love. Remember what Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40? He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment, uh, 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 which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And so it's easy for us to say, I love God. It's easy for us to say that. But it's not what you say. It's what you do. What proves that you really love God. And so he says, If you really love God, the same way you keep on saying you love God, you will love your neighbor. He puts this at the same level of loving God. Because the way you treat people shows how your relationship with God is. John chapter 13, verse 35. The Apostle John said, By these everyone will know you, will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. Not, not, he says, people will not know that you are my disciples by your arguments that you put on Facebook, your posts that you put on Facebook. People, that's not what people are going to look at. It's not about how much theology you know. It's not by the church you attend. It's by the love you have for one another. By the love you show to people. Love is the birthmark of a believer. The birthmark of a believer, the distinguished person as a believer, is love. And if you have a birthmark, especially twins, a lot of times twins, one have a, has a birthmark and the other one no, and sometimes you cannot distinguish, right? And then they get mad sometimes. I've done that before. Where I'm like, I, I call one the name of the other, right? And they're like, no, that's my brother. But sometimes if they have a little birthmark or something, you can distinguish that. But that's how a Christian gets distinguished. Your birthmark should be love. What is love? What is love? The, prom the, the, the prominent word of, for, for love in the New Testament is agape. And we all know that. What's agape? It's a sacrificial kind of love that does whatever it takes 
to help the object of his love. So let me tell you, let me tell you a little more clear that. Biblical love is inconvenient yourself when you inconvenient yourself for the convenience of others. Do we like to do that? No, you take the front seat. No, it's okay. I get Cardizi. I don't care if you get Cardizi. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the front seat. It's inconvenient yourself for the convenience of others. Different than the world, isn't it? The world tells you, do whatever makes you feel good. It doesn't matter what others think or what others feel like or what others do. As long as you feel good. That's what the world is preaching to us. And many Christians are, have, have bought into that. Biblical love is inconvenience yourself for the convenience of others. It is others-oriented. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, remember? There was a, a Jewish man who was, had been bitten by people, by bad men. And he was laying on the floor and he was, and he was hurting. And the priest went by, another Jewish man, went by and didn't even pay attention to that guy. Another Jewish man went by, but he was, to, you know, he was focusing on his own business. Didn't pay attention to the guy. But a Samaritan, a half-breed, what they called them, they didn't like Samaritans. He saw this Jewish man and he said, it doesn't matter if, he doesn't, if he's not like me. It doesn't matter if he doesn't look like me. It doesn't matter if I'm not in his same tax bracket. I'm going to inconvenience myself because I know that's what God wants. Got off his horse or whatever he was riding, a camel, whatever. You, 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 you use your imagination. Pick up the guy, right? Put him on. He walked. And when he walked, he got to the inn. And when he got to the inn, he told the guy, Hey, whatever this guy needs, it's on me. Guess what? That is love. He's like, how do I know that guy is going to pay me back? He didn't. That is love. And that is what God is looking for us when He's teaching us something like what James is telling us here. <coughs> Let me get a little more personal with you here. So if all the people you hang out with are people who look like you, are at this, they are in the same tax bracket as you. Do you really think you're loving others like Jesus wants you to do that? I don't know. Just think about it. What Jesus and James are saying is that you cannot discriminate and love at the same time. You cannot do that. It's either or. It is biblically impossible to show favoritism and to love at the same time. So it's okay. We can be brothers in Christ. We can just not be brothers in love. Right? So to show partiality, favoritism, to discriminate, it is a problem of the heart. And the only solution, it's the heart, uh, the, the heart changes, that the heart of love will be in action that can only come from God transforming our sinful hearts. Then you will pass. The test of faith. If you love everyone without partiality, favoritism, discriminating, based on what they look like, based on the ways they speak and the way they dress. 
He says, obey the royal law. That is the solution. Start loving people because many times we can err when we judge people. A story, story is told about the Pope. Everybody here knows who the Pope is. Stories told about the Pope. Uh, there was a time in which he had to speak in the United Nations. And so he gets a plane in Italy, flies over to New York. But there's bad weather in New York. And so, so you go and, he, you know, you land in Newark, New Jersey. So which he's running dangerously close to missing his speaking engagement at the United Nations. So he hops into his limousine, tells the limousine driver... Driver, I have to speak in the United Nations. I need you to step on it. I need you to drive really fast. So soon he realized uh, that the guy is not driving very fast. The guy is having some trouble driving fast. And the Pope says, so, so what's up with you? No, he didn't say what's up. I just made that up. He says, uh, I need you to go a little faster. The guy says, well, I can't because I have a couple of standing words. I have a couple of sending warrants, and, and if I get pulled over, that's the end of my business. I will lose, they will take my license. The Pope says, pull over and get in the back seat. I'll drive. Can you imagine the Pope driving in New Jersey? Cool, huh? So the Pope is stepping on the gas and driving fast and, and in and out of traffic, and surely enough, a cab pulls him over. So the cab comes up to the driver and says, uh, Sir, roll down your window. And he, the Pope obeys to everything the cop is saying. So the cop sees him and just shakes his head and tells him, uh, You know, you, you can go on now. He goes back to the other cop who, 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 uh, who asks him, Why didn't you write him a ticket? You have no idea, he says, who's in that car. And, and the other cop goes, Well, it cannot be more important than the mayor. And he goes, Yes, he is can't be more important than the President of the United States. Well, I think he is. Then the, cops, the, the, the other cop goes, so who is he? I don't know, but he had to be really important because the Pope was driving him. The Pope was driving him, so he had to be really important. Took you a second there, but you got it. We have to be careful we ha how, how we judge people. We have to be very careful. Because it has a consequence. It's got consequences when we don't treat people right the way God wants us to do it. Verse 12 and 13, he finishes by saying, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the Lord that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by what? By the Word. By the law that gives us freedom. By the Word of God. So speak, but don't, 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 don't just be somebody who speaks about it. Do what you're supposed to do. Remember, you will be judged, he said. You will be judged the same way you've been judging other people. Remember what Matthew, Matthew chapter 7 says? Do not, be do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same, in, the same, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. 
And with the measure you measure others, you will also be measured. That's the same way it's gonna, you're going to be treated. You're going to be treated exactly the way you treated other people. That's what God is going to do. So he says, show mercy. Show mercy. Show empathy. Understand people. Love people. So three things really quick that I can do. And I'm just going to tell you those three things. And then you can, I'm, I'm sure you can figure it out for yourself. What can we do? Number one, we gotta be we we gotta have awareness. We gotta have awareness. So in other words, be on the look for yourself. Am I treating this person because of the way they look or the way they talk? Or am I being an agent of Christ? Am I being an ambassador for Jesus? Be have awareness. Number two, develop relationships. Let me tell you this. Proximity brings empathy. A lot of times you don't have empathy on people, on certain people, because you haven't made the time to get to know them. Proximity brings empathy. Get close to people. Even if they don't look like you, even if they don't talk like you, get close to people. Even if they don't dress like you. Proximity brings empathy. Distance brings suspicions. Number three, commitment. Commit yourself that you are going to practice love and not favoritism. It's got to be a commitment. Remember, what is religion? It's an outward display of something that is inwardly true. So if your relationship with God inwardly is true, behave in a way that is going to be pleasing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us your word today. A lot of times it's not easy to swallow what you're telling us because our humanness our nature usually responds in a different way but we know Father that your word is true and he tells us that we need to show mercy so mercy will be shown to us and that if we do not show mercy Mercy will not be given to us. How many times, Father, have we failed by discriminating and thinking different about other people? And we forget that the gospel message will be heard even in a greater way, with more power, not by what we say, but what, what we do. Help us, Father, to be people who honor you with our actions and the way we treat others who have been created in your image. No matter who they are. Every single human being on this earth has been created in your image.
help us to treat them with respect. Even if we don't agree. Even if we have, uh, if we have different uh, political parties. Maybe our ideas, our mentality is different. Maybe our tax bracket is different. Maybe our language, maybe our looks and everything, our color and everything is different, Lord. But help us love without discriminating. Because we want you to show us mercy. We need to show mercy to others. If we don't show mercy, we know we will pay the consequence. Because you will not show us mercy. And we really need it. We really need that mercy. And so we pray that you will help us. In your Son's precious name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.